You're listening to Agency Dealmasters, brought to you by Bridge. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Nick Wood is the co-founder of Sin, a leading production company in Japan, making iconic sounds for some of the biggest brands and TV shows on earth. You may be familiar with the likes of Amazon, Coke, the J-League, Sex in the City, just go down the list. He set up Sin Studios in Tokyo with longtime friend and collaborator Simon Lebon of Duran Duran. And we talk about everything from what makes hit songs, uh, the, the music culture in Japan. We discuss sex, drugs and rock and roll in the 80s with Duran Duran, only one of the biggest bands in the world at the time. We talk about how music has changed and actually we, the fact that we don't see mega bands anymore. Now we see far more solo artists and we're now more of a sort of a hit driven music culture. Um, that's a fascinating conversation. We talk about the importance of emotion in music and how that drives performance for brands. Um, his philosophy of how he creates music for brands is, is really insightful as well. He's just one of the most knowledgeable people on earth about this topic. And it was just such a pleasure spending this time with him. And there's so much here for you to get your teeth into. So without me keeping you as suspense any further, my conversation with Nick Wood. My name is Nathan Anibaba, and this is Agency Dealmasters. Agency Dealmasters is a series of conversations with world-class agency leaders building great agency businesses. I believe everyone belongs in the growth journey, and this show is dedicated to the stories and the lessons of ambitious agency builders of all types by examining their history, competitive advantage, and what makes them tick. Now, let's jump in. Nick Wood is the CEO and creative director of Sin, an Emmy award-winning music agency founded by Nick and Simon LeBon of Duran Duran. Sin specializes in composing and producing original music, sound design, and audio post-production for advertising, film, and television. His music has also been featured on HBO's critically acclaimed Sex and the City, adverts for Amazon and Coke, as well as the Japanese National Football League. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Nick Wood, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and Thank you for inviting me. I'm a huge fan of your career and your work. We're going to get into all of that stuff. But before we do, let's dig into your background a little bit more. So at 24, you moved to Japan. And as it turned out, you actually never came back to the UK. It's pretty unusual for someone so young to take such a bold decision. Yeah, I was really, really fortunate that I had a publishing deal with Virgin Music and I'd had a band, we'd got a nice advance, and we'd spent the advance, as you do, on making music. And the band split up, and I was at a bit of a low and wondering, what am I going to do? I owed Virgin money, and uh, I was going out with this stunningly beautiful English model, and she came home one day and said, oh, my agency in Tokyo have invited me to go and work for a month. And I told them I'll only go if I can bring you. So I was the <laughs> lucky recipient of a trip to Tokyo. And it was incredible 
timing in my life and my career because I didn't know anything about Tokyo. I knew it was a great city. It wasn't one of the places I ever imagined going to. I was a huge fan of Blade Runner. So I was like, <laughs> I, I arrived in Tokyo and I was immediately in Blade Runner. And I had a tiny little apartment that my girlfriend was given in a good area. And I, like, my first week there, I, I called up Virgin um, in Tokyo because they had a, uh, they were, they were represented by Sony Music. So it didn't get much bigger than that. And I went over and introduced myself and I told them, hey, I'm one of your writers in London. Here's my music. And I had all these great tracks from my band. Hmm. And I had also done a song with Simon Le Bon and I played them that. And of course, that grabbed their attention. Blew their mind. Um, Duran Duran was, yeah, Duran Duran was huge back then massive and in and japan was a very important market to them so they kind of put me took a shine to me and i guess they were quite like who the hell's this guy who uh has come and given us demos and says he wants to work and uh they took me seriously so i used my month in tokyo very very well and at the end of that month i said to my girlfriend you know what i don't think i'm going to go back with you do you think the model agency will let me stay in this apartment and she said oh i'm sure they will they really like you and i was just the luckiest guy the model agency said yeah nick can stay as long as he wants and um i ended up staying for 6 months at that time and it was the best and biggest boost to my belief in myself that, you know what, I can do this. I know that there are clients and people out there who want to work with me. And, and Japan gave me that kind of chance and that, that opportunity. And I'm eternally grateful that some cool people saw me as, a, as, a, as someone who they should, you know, give give him a break let him show us what he can do and and i did and it's been a love affair with this country ever since so instantly fell in love with japan instantly fell in love with tokyo i i did a very similar thing at, at 23 I, I moved to um china i, I lived in xi'an and, and and beijing and also it had an amazing foundational experience on me stayed there for a year was thinking of never coming back. I should have been there even now. I, I still wake up these days still thinking, why am I not in China? Love my experience out there. What was it about those early days of Tokyo that fascinated you so much? I think, as you probably know, being a very, very serious minority in a country or in a city is a really interesting feeling. Some people don't like it. I quite liked it. I was, I was, so impressed with not being around people my color from my nation from my country and i quite liked some of the attention i got you know i it was it was quite fun um i never had a bad experience uh, uh, like anything negative i mean taxis didn't stop sometimes but that's even with japanese they do that but I think it was the 
I, I didn't realize how much Japan loved music and I didn't realize how eclectic their music taste and love was and how powerful the Japanese music industry was on a global scale. You know, it was, it still is, I think the second or third biggest consumer of music on the planet. So that was like, they really love music and they use it in very unique and interesting ways. And, and that really opened my eyes. It was very, very inspiring. And you've got to, I mean, anyone who's been to Tokyo, if you can imagine the end of the bubble, or it wasn't the end of the bubble, it was the middle of the bubble when I got here. It was a city on excess. I mean, there was money, 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 crazy nightclubs, crazy people. It was quite a, a circus. And I was 23, 24. And boy, did I enjoy a circus. So <laughs> <laughs> what was there not to love and enjoy and be inspired by? Um, and, you know, coming from Maggie Thatcher's England at that time, and, <laughs> and it was a pretty grim place. Very different. It was like Maggie Thatcher in London or the bubble <laughs> of Tokyo. It was a very yeah. easy decision. Easy decision. Love that. Yeah. So, so, you, so you talk about music let's talk a little bit about sin what was the founding insight that led you to set up sin in 1991 tell us how the company has grown and sort of the major milestones along the way so i think uh, really hats off to simon here because simon knew the magic of japan and knew their love of music and obviously he'd experienced firsthand the success of Duran Duran. And when he when I came back after those six months and was so positively like Japan, 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 Tokyo's amazing. And it was Simon who like said, why don't we do something together? You know, you you clearly love that place. I love it. And he even came up with the name, you know, like Sin. So he gave me an idea and an identity and having him as a partner was a very big boost of confidence for me to go back and kind of establish this creative music company. I mean, that was it. We, Simon and I loved, we're great friends. We loved working together. I was enthusiastic about opportunities in Japan and it was pretty much like, okay, You've got my support. Now you go off and make it happen. So that was a pretty uh, amazing opportunity for for a young guy. And it was, I think the really big kind of opportunity came from a song that I wrote for an artist called Kikawa Koji, who was a big pop star, like a Harry Styles of his time, good looking. He was appearing in commercials he was selling out arenas. He was writing hit songs. And I wrote a song for him called Glamorous Jump. Great title. And that song became uh, a commercial soundtrack with him in the commercial. And I had never seen anything like that because back then in 87, 88, artists were not appearing in commercials or the licensing that we know of today didn't really exist. Sure. 
it was seen as a bit of a sellout back then, but in Japan, it was a hugely big way of promoting and launching artists. And I saw that commercial and I went, wow, I like what they've done with my song. And I love the fact that the artist is in that commercial campaign. And that got me very interested in TV commercials. And that was kind of me finding my way to like, you know what, I've always loved visuals. I've always loved creative storytelling. And now I can see a place where my music can be part of that, that industry, that story, that those campaigns. And that really appealed to me. And I saw that that was a way where I could possibly launch Sin as a commercial creative agency, as a music production company, as they called them here. So that was the beginning. Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Bridge, the growth-focused podcast agency. We help ambitious agencies talk to the right brands through the power of podcasting. Generate leads, win new business, and increase reputation. Check out our clients' podcasts and find more resources to keep learning at bridgegrowth.org. Now, back to the show. So you've been in business for 31 years now, give or take. Tell us your philosophy of sound and music. How do you think about how to come up with or how to create iconic sounds that really have an impact on a brand, increases memorability, is able to kind of move the brand forward? Do you have a philosophy or a way that you think about how you do that for clients? I'm a big, big believer in really understanding or trying to understand and comprehend exactly what the client wants to achieve with music and sound. And sometimes they don't know, and sometimes we have to guide them through the process and discover it together, which is fine. And sometimes clients have very clear, you know, I want my sonic identity to do this, or I want this soundtrack to give the listener this emotion, or I want it to work this way with picture. Um, what I think, what I believe we are good at and what we've become experts at is deciphering the code of music in terms of how people communicate or talk about their music requirements because it's a hard language to decipher. People can't describe music very well. They can describe images and colors, but describing language of music is often quite vague and uh, random and uh, really hard to read. <laughs> One of the things that I think we are very good at is extracting really interesting sonic stories, like uh, how does a sound or how can we bring a color or a tone to a product or a brand that, is a, an interesting story and a very unique use of sound. I'm like a sonic archaeologist. I'm trying to find those unique sonic stories in everything we do. And sometimes it's just like, write me a beautiful emotional melody. And that is something we love to do. But in some cases, like Amazon, it could be, you know what, we want to use the sound of Amazon boxes to create a drum. 
And so we build a drum kit out of Amazon boxes and we record those drums in an Amazon warehouse where it's incredibly echoey. So it's delving deep into the stories, but also bringing these authentic sonic approaches to how we bring it to life. Because I think people are really interested in sound and they're interested in how we create an emotional attachment to that piece of music. So I really feel our philosophy is like, I don't want to dial it in. I don't want to just take the easy route. I want to go and do a lot of research. I want to dig deep. I want to bring something unique to you, my client, and help you have the best sonic experience that kind of brings the best out of your product or your story and bring the full potential of sound, you know, and that's, that's a big undertaking. It takes a lot of people, a lot of effort, but it's something we're very passionate about. And you talk about the importance of emotion there. I mean, emotion as we're just coming to realize, especially in B2B plays a huge part in effectiveness, driving the effectiveness of, of a brand. I think we're only just starting to understand that now in B2B marketing specifically. I think um, B2C has sort of understood that for quite some time. If you, for instance, you know, listen to an ad and you turn down the sound and you, you know, you're just watching the still images or the, or the moving images without the emotion, it, it changes the advert completely. Yeah. How do you think about adding emotion into a brand? Where does that driver come from? Does it come from the client asking you, hey, we want, these are the emotions that we want to communicate to our our, our, our audience. Does that come from you? And, and talk about the importance of em- driving emotion through music in general. I mean, the brand, uh, if we receive a, a rough edit or a finished edit or a piece of film, we'll normally know we, we know what they're trying to say and that we know what they're trying to communicate. Um, and how are they trying to touch someone? You know, is it over, overly emotional and they want people to cry or is it they want people to be inspired and uplifted? You know, we go for, uh, is it very subtle and, you know, they want the VO to be the driving emotion and we are there to just support that with the right tone. So sometimes we aren't, the music is not the focus that we would love it to be, but it, but it's an incredibly important bed under everything else to keep it, um, you know, to keep it solid and to joy, you know, to give it consistency. Um, Sometimes it might not be a music idea at all. It could be sound design where it's something where it's going to have, really wow impact like a hollywood film kind of sound design and uh that might not have the emotion of a beautiful melody but it might have the appropriate uh impact to support the visuals so we uh we figure that out with the client and sometimes it takes multiple uh directions to to get that right it might be the client says, you know, I don't know if it's a melody that I'm looking for. Can you suggest something? Or 
am I looking for a song with lyrics that and the human voice, the vocalist that we choose is going to make me have that kind of get goosebumps, you know, is it that kind of feeling or is it, uh, you know, is it just the rhythm of those drums and the hand claps that you create that give me that driving energy? So we sometimes have to go in quite wide um, musical directions to figure out what is the right direction. And what can be very difficult and challenging for us is when the decision makers are doing it by committee. Because if you get three or four people round a table and we've given them the, this is the beautiful song that's going to make people really feel so warm and uplifted, but here's the energetic drums and hand clap version and then here's the sound design version you'll probably get three different people going oh i love i love number one no i love number two i love number three right so uh that can be really tough on us trying to get somebody to make a decision what's the old adage about people designing a horse by committee turns into a a camel or or some or something to that effect yeah so I first heard about you and Sin through John Harris, the CEO of Worldwide Partners at their um, EMEA event in, in London that I was lucky enough to um, be invited to. And he was talking about this agency that creates music from the sounds of plants. And everyone in the room just turned around and said, huh, how does, how does that work? Yeah. Talk us through that, because that's a fascinating example and case study. Uh, there's a skincare brand based in San Francisco called Tatcha, but their products are all made in Japan. And I've worked with Tatcha for over 10 years, and the CEO is a close friend, Vicky Tsai. And Vicky's this force of nature, both beautiful, really intelligent, really smart, and has amazingly good ideas. And Tatcha have always really uh, positioned the brand to promote these very unique ingredients. So they use a lot of green tea, seaweed, they use rice, they use enzymes. So there's, there's a real point of difference in the way they market their products. And Vicky was telling me about a new product they were launching using indigo. And indigo, as you know, is a beautiful color. We, it's used in denim. You know, it's a, a plant that creates this beautiful blue that we use to dye cloth in Japan. It's used in denim. It has a long history with samurai warriors who wore indigo cloth. But if they cut themselves, it was a antiseptic. So it, it stopped infection. Anyway, they realized indigo was a great product for them to, or a great ingredient. And Vicky came up with this idea of a five senses ritual. So she wanted it to have a calming, relaxing effect. And the five senses were uh, obviously touch, because the cream you touch when you put it on. Smell, they used a, um, they created um, an incense taste they created a tea sound that was us creating the sound and then visual so vicky said hey i want you to figure out how to record the sound of indigo plants 
and make me a piece of music that we can use in this ritual. And I said, wow, how are we going to do that? And she said, well, I found this, uh, I found this technology called Plant Wave, and uh, the owner, Joe, wants to partner with you on uh, this project. And Joe, this amazingly smart guy, had created this small box device with wires that have sensors, and you can put these sensors on any plant, and the electric the electric signal from the plants triggers his technology to play a melody. So uh, he runs a, a studio called Plant Wave and he plays music 24 hours a day triggered from the plants in his studio. Um, so it's a, it's a beautiful concept. And uh, so we partnered with Joe. Joe helped us figure out to use his technology to transfer that to MIDI. MIDI is a is the data that we use um, in electronic music. So if I have a piano keyboard attached to a laptop and I play chords or a melody, that data becomes MIDI data. So Joe enabled us to transfer the sound from the plant waves into MIDI. I then got masses of uh, data and Alan, uh, the co-writer of the track with me, uh, we created an eight-minute piece using the data that we received from the indigo plants. And uh, we turned it into an eight-minute piece of music that then became part of Tatcher's uh, Five Senses ritual. Now, where it gets really interesting is normally we you know we were talking about emotion and music being subjective what was very interesting is that Thatcher had the genius idea of testing their five senses ritual in a neuroscience lab on 30 different people so they they went through the whole process of uh people uh getting wired up uh on their brain going through the ritual and then the data from their their brain being uh, put into a report. So they listened to the music, they drank the tea, they uh, they rubbed the cream on, they did the whole scent, five senses ritual, and it proved for the first time we'd never had that data before that our music and the ritual had the desired effect. It was calming and relaxing. So. We've never had a piece of music tested in the lab before, but it was great to see that it worked. That's incredible and a, fan- a fantastic story. I've never heard anything like it. We're going to put a link to that video in the description so people can go and go and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, last question before we get into our, our favourite questions that we ask all of our guests, and I'm really excited to ask you some of them, by the way. But what have you learned about business building specifically as far as sin is concerned, that when you started you were no good at or not very good at and and that now you're much better and what have been your biggest growth areas personally over this period of time i mean definitely i'm very very curious and i know that creatively i can be better tomorrow i can be i am always challenging myself to i i feel my best work is yet to come and i feel that about sin so we're incredibly curious and 
challenging in what else can we do that can be better or or what other stories are the to be told through music that we've never yet thought of so creative collaboration is you know as we've got more successful i would say we've been able to be more ambitious in that area um so i've enjoyed working with clients who maybe could spend more money on hey you know what i want to record strings in macedonia okay go and do it or I want to work with a voice artist to create the sound of fiat. Okay, go and do it. So I love that we can still challenge ourselves uh, to go out and find these creative partners. Um, as a business owner, I've realized as well, you, finance is not my strong point personally. But You and me both. I've... But you know what? There are people out there who want to work with someone like me and help me figure it out. So that's a big lesson that I am really starting to. It's giving me confidence that, you know what? My ideas are pretty good. But having a financial guy at my side to help me make to turn them into reality and to help me figure out how we financially make it work is very important um another thing i've learned is it's a great thing to have advisors and consultants you know like i have several now and i'm i love it it's like i've got you know like a someone helps me figure out how i can be a better leader how i can be a better um you know representative of sin or i have someone else helping me give us good advice about the sin direction and where are we heading you know advisors about our vis our visual style and uh, it those things used to be much harder now with zoom and internet and what we can do with experts around the world i love that and i'm figuring out that they can help us develop as a company because i didn't go to business school i didn't do a an MBA. I didn't uh, do many of those things that I wish that might have helped. So I didn't do it, but now I can bring people in who did do it and who are really smart and who really love Sin's story and where we want to go, where we want to get to. So help us figure it out. So I've become less proud about, I'll figure it out myself and just like, no, figure it out with someone who's really much smarter than you and it'll be better. <laughs> couldn't couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. There's there's so many I wish I would have learned that lesson earlier myself. But um but hey, today's the first day of um of the rest of your life, right? Um yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let's jump into our favorite questions now. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well almost like who's the person behind the brand sort of questions. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. God, well, I, uh, I nearly went bankrupt in 2011 when Japan had a massive tsunami and all business stopped. We were renting a studio that we could not afford, but my ego believed it was the right thing to do and that was stupid 
but there was a whole perfect storm of disasters. The tsunami hit, the earthquake, business was terribly disrupted. No advertising on TV because it was culturally sensitive. Japan has a very, I don't know, it's an odd perspective, but there was a disaster. So they didn't feel it was appropriate for Lexus or P&G to advertise on TV. Uh, so all of our work stopped. We do live entertainment for luxury hotels. They all closed. It finished us off almost, except I said, we better leave this studio very quickly and get a cheap place that we can afford. And I nearly failed, but I held on by the skin of my teeth and I vowed I would you know make a lot of changes that I'm still like we've been in this same studio since that move and love it and it's somewhere we can afford and it's somewhere we can still do a great job it it wasn't the price tag that made sins music quality it's us who make the music quality the studio is just a facility that we can use on a day-to-day basis. So I learned a lot from that experience. It was very humbling, but it set us up for the future. So maybe it was a good thing. That's a really good one. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about music and sound design and agency growth, etc. I've had some really good ones. I mean, Simon, Simon Le Bon. How did you meet, by the way? I was at age 19 trying to get into music. Uh, I met Yasmin Lebon through a friend and she became my roommate. (laughs) So I had, she, she had the bedroom. I slept on the sofa bed in the lounge. She just started modeling. I was trying to get into music. And then a month into our um, friendship and roommate, uh, existence. She got a call from her model agency, and uh, Simon Le Bon had invited her to go and see the premiere of Indiana Jones. And Simon and Yasmin said, "Do you think I should go?" And I said, "You're definitely going. You can't turn that down." <laughs> yeah. And what for uh, Simon or I, for Indiana Jones? Uh, both. Both. <laughs> we, we knew it would be a good film, I, but I. Uh, but. Anyway, I got to meet Simon and the three of us became very good friends. It was the summer of 1984 and uh, Duran Duran uh, were doing Wild Boys. It went straight in at number one. It was a fantastic summer of crazy parties and, uh, and uh, yeah, we became great friends and the three of us are still incredibly close and, and very, very dear friends. So it's uh the, the friendship has lasted the test of time and and we're business partners as well so incredible tell us about some of your favorite books fiction non-fiction business related whatever i went to school in yorkshire i know this sounds grim but around the time of the yorkshire ripper and we were in near wakefield and we were young kids but it was there were all these fields and dark alleys and we used to scare the living daylights out of each other saying, you know, the rip, the rippers around here and 
and anyway, we had uh, one of the police detectives in our class, his son, and the Yorkshire Post son, the crime reporter. So we used to hear all these stories. Anyway, fast forward many years, an author called David Peace, who's from Yorkshire, but lives in Tokyo, wrote a book called The Red Riding Trilogy. He also wrote uh, an amazing book about the called The Damned United, about Leeds United and Brian Clough that was turned into a film. He's, a, he's an amazing author, but the Red Riding Trilogy books are fantastic. There's also a TV show. It was a really uncanny connection that David Peace grew up. He's around my age. He's from Yorkshire, but somehow ended up living in Japan. I've never met him, but I'm a big fan of his writing. Another great book, which I've discovered is such a valuable thing which is sleep and there's a great book called why we sleep by matthew walker great book you know in in my rock and roll days we were all so macho of like i don't need to sleep i'll go up <laughs> i'll go out and party all night and go straight to the studio right and looking back i think god how stupid were we it's like i really love sleeping and <laughs> i really value i mean Sorry to talk about this because I know you have a newborn baby and you're up all night. But I've had three hours sleep. Yeah, yeah, but it is the new uh, it, sleep is a new golden currency for us all. And Matthew's book is quite interesting. Um, I mentioned Blade Runner, so I have to go back to Philip K. Dick and his book. Uh, well. It became Blade Runner, but the original title is Do Aliens Dream of Electric Sheep? Um, but that book became uh, Blade Runner, and it's it's a short story, but it's fantastic. So I still feel like I'm living in Blade Runner in Tokyo because it's got so many visual references, and it, it still is uh, one of my favorite things is to drive over Rainbow Bridge and play the uh, Blade Runner soundtrack because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm arriving in Tokyo. And then lastly, I'm a huge Stanley Kubrick fan and I was reading a lot of books about him and one that really appealed to me was by his driver, an Italian gentleman called Emilio Alessandro. It's called Stanley Kubrick and Me and it's, it's a really great book perspective on how you know i know stanley kubrick was a genius but it's lovely to read about what a kind and considerate man he was as well and he clearly really put a, put his staff through a lot his his demands are just like wow no one would ever do that these days and what stanley went through to make his films and to deliver the quality of work i think that's what I got out of reading about him a lot was just the so many lessons I learned about his attention to detail and his willingness to give up on something because he wanted to do, find a better way and his obsession with technology and cameras and lenses and storytelling. So I would advise many creatives out there, if you're interested in 
a true creative genius. Read some of the books on Stanley Kubrick because they're fascinating. What are you listening to these days, music-wise? What uh, inspires you? What do you keep going back to? Yeah, what are you listening to these days? You know, it's really sad. I mean, I asked Benji and the, the team at Sin to keep me up to date on current tracks. Um, I have to say, I, I'm a recent lover of vinyl. I Not recent. I've always loved vinyl, mm. but I only bought a record player two years ago. So I'm really enjoying curating albums that I'm not buying any old rubbish like I'm buying albums that I really cherish and care about that I want to listen to time and time again. And, Give us some examples. Um, well, Pet Sounds, um, I'm loving listening to. I'm, I'm really on a Brian Wilson kind of trip because, again, just listening to it through warm analog amps and vinyl, um, I'm loving. I also bought XTC. Um, you know, an old band from the 80s, but really fantastic. Um, I've been, it, it's the, I'll have to, I'll, for the, for the list of my albums, I'll send you the, <laughs> the names because I'm, yeah, I'm blanking do. on what that, um, but I'm enjoying the cherished classics because I'm hearing it through the speakers and the, the sound it was meant to be listened in and the order it was de- curated to be played that's, that's a whole new list that's a whole new listening experience for me and i'm i'm really uh i don't want to sound like i don't listen to new music i do um in fact i was talking to benji the other day i was saying what do you think of glass animals you know the the band from oxford who are having a big global hit right now and i was just saying it's really nice to see a uk band and not just a solo artist having a um a very big you know substantial hit on you don't see them so much anymore these days the the guardian was writing about that they were saying there's so few bands coming up lots of solo artists having massive hits or collaborations like you know like adele featuring so-and-so or ariana grande and whoever but bands bands seem to have disappeared like the ones that are already existing they're still, still doing going. well Coldplay but, go down the lists right yeah and my final question Nick what do you know about growing a sound agency today that you wish you knew way back in 1991 when you first started oh my god I think studios are really important i wish i wish back then i'd bought land so that I, if i built a studio i didn't have to leave <laughs> you know <laughs> i got uh that would be one thing always be open to collaboration uh, i think in the early days as much as i collaborated with singers i was less open-minded to creative collaboration with other composers and uh i've learned that that's you don't try and do everything yourself because you're not good at everything just find what you're good at be confident that you're good at that and then bring in the people who are good at the stuff you're not good at um so that's probably one lesson and one thing i wish i'd 
had a note on back then. Um, and yeah, finance, although it sounds incredibly boring, as a creative person, it is your best friend because good financial advice, good financial planning will enable you to do the creative things that you love. There are always the projects you do for money, but there are also the projects that you do for your peace of mind, your passion, the feel-good projects that aren't about money that probably are the most important projects you'll ever do. So it's finding that balance and having good financial uh, advisors will help you figure that out. So I, I think Sin invests a hell of a lot of its money back into creating music that we want people to hear, which comes back to how do we get people to hear it? <laughs> yeah. Mm, absolutely love it. And a great place to end. Nick, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much and uh, best wishes and uh, thanks for listening. We have been speaking with Nick Wood. He's currently the CEO of Sin. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 160 such conversations with world-class leaders in the agency space. Follow us on LinkedIn, head over to agencydealmasters.com and sign up to our weekly email newsletter to make sure you never miss an episode. We would be unable to do this show without our very own Deal Masters. Tyler Baller is our booker. Christoph Boaszczyk is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. You are listening to Agency Deal Masters, brought to you by Bridge, the growth focused podcast agency 